Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. You know, I always love it when people go out there and try to predict how society is going to change or how the world is going to change based off of a certain event. You know, they overestimate the human capacity for change. I mean, yes, we can change in some ways. You know, we can go off, uh, thanks to technology, we change our behaviors of communication and, you know, the degree of civility that we have towards each other. I mean, pre-internet, people were able to get along quite well. Now, there's always been a little hostility when it comes to politics, but in general, most of the people that you talk to were members of your community. And if you talk to them the way you talk to people online, whoa, watch out. You may have ended up with a beatdown or you would end up the scourge of your community. No, but now that everything is online and we're able to escape community and we're able to escape inconvenient truths or inconvenient facts, you know, the idea that, you know, we'll learn lessons and change forever for anything is overestimated. You know, so on Monday, Dr. Anthony Fusi, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, told a coronavirus press briefing that the world may never return to normal, whatever normal is, uh, that was known before the outbreak. He said that we will gradually come back to where we can function as a society again. But even with the vaccine, the virus will be a looming threat. Now, were we really functioning as a society? That tends to be one of the questions I have for those who are trying to go off and talk about change. Because even before the coronavirus outbreak, there was a side of politics, we'll call it the left, that were getting crazier and crazier and more dysfunctional and completely unable to actually function in civilized society, where any disagreement was met with yelling and outrage and screaming and, you know, the sense that the person that disagreed with them must be shunned and run out of society, or on the far left was an excuse for physical violence. So where were we operating as a society with our political you know, ideologies, you know, people in their political corners and being able to go online and because you'll never see the people, you know, being able to troll them and say things, you know, on Twitter and Facebook that we would never actually say to somebody's face. Were we really operating that great to begin with? You know, and it goes on to say that when we get back to normal, we will go back to the point where we can function as a society. If you want to get back to pre-coronavirus, that might not ever happen in the sense that the threat is there. Now, I'm not sure we would even want to go back to pre-coronavirus, at least as far as the tone of civility and the tone of our politics. And if anything, this coronavirus has shown that this country, because of the left, the left is always out there with their politics of hate, anger, and division. I mean, everything the left goes out and preaches about is all about creating division. It's us versus them. You know, there is no we as a country. It's there's our belief, and then there's the evil people that must be, you know, thrown out of society. You know, and when you take a look at the politics of the Democrats, you know, they're always out there demonizing everybody. And it's because they need to feed off of emotion. And anger is the perfect way to get people to stop thinking rationally that the left is constantly engaged in outrage politics. So people never actually think logically about the policies or the ideas of the leaders of the left. And they get them, you know, stirred into such a frenzy. And they go out there and attack anybody who doesn't agree with them. Meanwhile, they're not paying attention to what the politicians in Washington, D.C. are doing. They're not paying attention to all the fraud, waste, and abuse of money. They're not paying attention to how government spending is actually creating the hardships in their life that they're going out 
all angry about. Because what the Democrats do when they get you all riled up, angry, and not paying attention is they go off and they create all these spending bills to fund all these special interest groups, who then in turn return some of the money back to the Democrat campaign coffers and, you know, campaign donations. And they use debt in order to be able to finance doing this. Now, when they use debt, they're borrowing at today's values. Then they go off and print money, which devalues the purchasing power of our currency, so that when they pay the debt back, the money they're paying back is worth less than the money that they borrowed. But they never go off and think about all the people that they are hurting because of it. Because Democrats need to inflict pain. They need to inflict suffering. Because if you're not in pain and suffering, there's nothing for them to take advantage of. There is nothing for them to be able to go out and manipulate. They can't stir emotions of anger and hate in people that are happy and content. So they need to inflict pain and suffering so that they can manipulate you. And what we have seen in the coronavirus outbreak with the actions of left-wing media, you know, CNN, NBC, ABC, and the like, is that they're not concerned about your life. They're not concerned about how many people die. They're only concerned about how they can use this in election politics. What narrative can they spend? And how can they stir you to being angry so that you don't actually think and look back at the history of it? You know, that, that you don't go back and take a look at how the left-wing media was downplaying everything when Trump was taking actions. Oh, Trump was overreacting. And then they realized that this pandemic would be, you know, what they needed in order to get people to stop thinking rationally because people who panic do not think rationally. And so they went into the fear-mongering, the scare tactics, and overhyping the coronavirus. And what we are seeing is that the models were wrong, the number of deaths. Hey, I've told you that we have a lot of information that we don't have about the coronavirus. But as time goes on, we are starting to get that information. And we're starting to realize that, yes, it's bad, but it's not as bad as what they were saying. Now, it's still bad enough to warrant, you know, taking precautionary action. But is it bad enough to shut down the entire economy? Well, the left would love the entire economy to say shut down for a while because they want to get people used to government money. And so when we take a look at Dr. Fucci and how he's trying to go off and say society will never be the same, I'm saying society never really changed. You know, now as far as these lockdown orders, I mean, most of the time people you know, spent most of the year locked down anyways. It's only because we're being told to stay put that all of a sudden we want to be active. Why? Because in American society, we like to defy authority. We don't really care who the authority is. The authority could be people we actually agree with, but we don't like being told what to do. You know, but what we see here is that people have gone further and further into their corner because they're not really concerned about the truth or rational analyzing of the data and the facts. And shutting down the economy was controversial, you know, but I was willing to give it the 15 days. Guess what? The 15 days is up. We're seeing that, you know, we need to start creating a plan to reopen the economy. The left is not interested in that conversation. The left just sees this as a narrative. They, they look at the crisis of the coronavirus in terms of political attack ads, where, you know, Trump overreacted. No, 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 Trump underreacted. Trump did whatever it is they need in order to go into their smear tactics. You know, and because they believe that they themselves will not be affected by the coronavirus, getting you the truth and getting you the information that you need in order to protect yourself is not something that they're interested in. You know, and there will be more on that later on as I go through and discuss in the coronavirus section how the left, you know, they just can't stop lying for any reason. And so the whole point of this is when we go through and we take a look at Dr. Fauci's claim that the world will never be the same, 
Well, one could only hope that the world wouldn't be the same, and one could only hope that we would actually be on target and on trajectory to creating a better world. I just don't see that happen. I just don't see people learning from all of this. All I see is people using this as an excuse to further a political agenda or attack other people. Now, as we go through here, I want to say this. You know, generally, I don't really give a rip what celebrities say because celebrities don't really have any real political insight, any real knowledge, or really any intelligence whatsoever. I mean, their entire career is to regurgitate with emotion what other people tell them to say, what other people write for them. But every so often, there is a celebrity that comes out and actually says something rational for a change. And when that happens, I like to highlight and point that out. Now, in this particular case, it comes from what may normally be seen as an unlikely source. Hulk Hogan. Yes, Hollywood Hulk Hogan comes out. Wrestler, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Movie star, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. TV star. You know, comes out and he doesn't really say anything about politics itself. What he comes out and does is something that's more philosophical. And that is that the coronavirus is God having taken away everything that we worship. And you got to think about this, if you're a religious person, that there is some truth to that. There is some truth to this statement that God has been taking things away with this virus. In a Facebook post, he is recalling the plagues of Egypt, which were designed to humiliate the pagan deities. Hogan said that our modern gods, from sports to celebrities to money, have been taken away from us by this pandemic. In three short months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, God has taken away everything we worship. God said, you want to worship athletes? I will shut down the stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I will shut down civic centers. You want to worship actors? I will shut down theaters. You want to worship money? I will shut down the economy and collapse the stock market. Now, this actually, you know, is one of those things where it gets into more of a philosophical debate. And I like that he's not going off and really making a political debate, but he is noting here about our society, about how we worship things that really don't deserve to be worshipped. Why is it that we worship athletes? I mean, yeah, it's great. They play a game. It's entertaining. But why have athletes, you know, obtained the status that they have in our society? Our actors. Actors, hey, they got a skill of being able to portray emotion as they read lines that other people wrote for them. But why do we then impugn upon them the idea that they have knowledge, you know, special knowledge about politics, society, or that they are somehow experts in the realm of politics? What have they done to actually show us that they have any expertise in any of the issues that they talk about? Now, it's one thing to go off and have an opinion. Hey, we're Americans. We're allowed to have opinions. We got a First Amendment uh, right to be able to run our mouths. You know, heck, I'm running my mouth right now. But when it comes down to it, I'm offering up my opinion. I'm not asking people to lift me up on a pedestal and accept me as an expert. I'm an opinion guy. And if you're tuning in, it's because you like my opinion. I get you thinking about things in a certain way. I bring up a pro uh, aspect that you may not have thought of. And so when we come through and take a look at you know, athletes, musicians, actors. It's one thing to give them money for entertainment. It's another thing for us to say, hey, tell us, oh, great one, how shall we run society? And money, money is good in a sense, and it depends on how you view and how you use money. Now, the left will go off and try and tell you that money is the root of all evil. But that's nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, it's a mindset of how you view money and how you view going about obtaining money. 
But money itself is an inanimate object. It doesn't care what you do. It's amoral. It doesn't have morals. It doesn't have any more morals than a brick or a step or a tree. You know, it, it just is. Now, maybe a tree, you can at least think that it might have some moral commu- and ability to communicate in a way that maybe we don't yet comprehend or understand. Maybe. But it's how we go about using money. I mean, you can go off and you can use money to hoard away and spend selfishly on yourself, on luxury items. Or you can use money to feed the less fortunate. The money doesn't care. It's what you do with the money. So I thought this was really kind of an interesting insight about how the things that we have come to worship in society and focus all of our attention on has by and large been taken away from us by this virus during this lockdown. And guess what? We are surviving. We're able to get through this. We don't need some dim-witted actor trying to tell us how to model society based off of their uninformed opinions. And now if they want to go off and do a podcast where they give their opinions and you know people want to go through and discuss what they think about the opinion, hey, that's great. But to go out on TV and proclaim that they are an all-knowing expert who if we just listened to them, everything would be fine. You know, that is one of those things that we just need to stop. Speaking of actors who spout off on the mouth uh, things that they don't really know about, Alyssa Milano. Yes, Alyssa Milano, she's in the news. And she's in a little bit of hot water for hypocrisy on the Me Too movement. Oh, yes, oh, yes. So you remember back during the Kavanaugh hearings where Melissa Milano was trying to give support to the Me Too movement that we must believe all women. Men are guilty until proven innocent. You know, and we must, you know, because of the hardship that women face and the scorn they feel when they come forward, we must believe all women without question because women, you know, they don't lie. No, 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 no. Women don't lie, you know, more than men do. Women don't lie as much as men do. No, there is not a single woman on the face of this planet that is ever told a lie. Therefore, when she comes forward with a story that doesn't provide any real details, can't tell us where, can't tell us when, can't even tell us what decade, you know, or what year, can't provide a single witness or can't provide anybody that she had even told when that had happened, coming out decades later to make an accusation just as the person was being appointed to the Supreme Court by Trump. And the person making the accusation happens to be a hardcore Democrat. And we're not allowed to question her political motive. We're just supposed to believe her. Well, now the shoe's on the other foot, right? So now there's accusations against Joe Biden. You know, the accusations have even more credibility than what they did against Kavanaugh because the person can can actually describe the situation, can tell us where it happened, you know, go through and actually provide details has people that she had told at the time coming forward talking about how they remember her talking about this. And, oh, yeah, it's Joe Biden. You know, we see him on camera all the time touching women, sniffing their hair, and getting all touchy-feely. It's not that big of a stretch to say that he would go one inch further. So now Joe Biden is accused. And how does Melissa Milano take the Me Too movement? Well, let's go ahead and hear it in her own words. I was, um, I have not publicly said anything about this. Um, if you remember, it kind of took me a long time to publicly say anything about, about Harley as well. Okay. Because I believe that um, even though we should believe women, and that is an important thing, and what that statement really means is like, you know, for so long, the the go-to has been not to believe them. So, really, we have to sort of societally ch- change 
that mindset to believing women, but that does not mean at the expense of not, um, you know, giving men their due process and, and investigating like situations. Mainstream media would be jumping all over this um, as well if, if you know, if they we weren't in a pandemic, uh, oh, or if there was more, something. if there was more credible, if there was evidence you know, if, that was, if they found more evidence or, or through it. their investigate. So I'm just kind of staying quiet about it. What complete and total hypocrisy that was. So she's going off and saying, well, if there was actually evidence, if there was actually some credible evidence, then yes, I would be talking about it. There's more evidence here than there ever was against Justice Kavanaugh. And you couldn't shut up about Justice Kavanaugh. You were all out there. Believe all women. And there wasn't a single shred of evidence. There wasn't any credible claim. There was holes all over that story. But then when it came to leftist icons, Joe Biden, Harvey Weinstein, now you want to go off and ask for evidence. And you want to have the media be the arbiter of, what is and isn't considered a credible claim. So this goes off and shows that her whole position on the Me Too movement isn't actually about, you know, women or, you know, fighting against sexual inequality or any of that mumbo jumbo. It was just all about political expedience. It was all about her trying to raise her dwindling public profile in order to try and get back in front of the cameras and show that she has some star power left by attaching herself to a leftist movement. But now that the leftist movement is actually affecting those on the left, which I love how that always happens, well, now she wants to go back and now she wants to take the right-wing position of, well, let's actually see where the evidence takes us before we try to condemn somebody. Of course, with Joe Biden, there's a whole host of evidence of him being all touchy and feely with women, and with women of all ages. So what is it that you're waiting for? Oh, I get it. It's election politics. Because Joe Biden is the presumptive nominee. Therefore, you don't want to do anything because you know sexual assault against women is okay so long as you believe letting it happen will allow you to try and beat Trump in the November election. Okay, I see how that goes. I see how that goes. You know, it's one of those things where you just want to say, guess what? Sexual assault should not be dependent upon politics. You need the same standard across the board. So my question is, is she going to come out now and actually apologize to Justice Kavanaugh for anything? Is she going to come out and apologize to Justice Kavanaugh for jumping the gun and smearing him without any evidence? Of course, I, I would find it funny if she found herself in a lawsuit and having to plead her case before the Supreme Court and Justice Kavanaugh happened to be the swing vote and just voted against her. You know, unfortunately, conservatives will always go by what the law is and not go by their emotions. But just for this one instance, I would probably let it slide. And other news uh, regarding celebrities. It is one where Lady Gaga has started fundraising to help out coronavirus. Now, here's the problem. All the money that she is raising, she is giving to the WHO. The WHO, which downplayed the coronavirus, helped to push Chinese propaganda and delayed the world's response to the coronavirus outbreak. It was the despicable action of the WHO that allowed this virus to spread outside of China while it was pushing Chinese propaganda. And the WHO has a lot to answer for. It really does. And I would say at this particular point in time, the WHO is almost just as responsible as China for all the deaths that are going on worldwide, simply because they were going through and trying to help cover this up. And so it's an instance in which we see that the celebrity class really doesn't have any values. It doesn't have any real knowledge of anything that is going on. They're just going off taking the default position that leftist ideology must be right. Therefore, 
they're going to go off and pander to the left and the left-wing ideology in order to get into the news and have all the other celebrities around them pat them on the back and tell them what great people they are. It's really amazing. Now, we are getting hints here that uh, the Trump administration is thinking about defunding or reducing its funding of the WHO, which at this particular point in time, I don't think anybody would really have a problem with. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. The left will probably go out there and throw a hissy fit and try to use it as an attack on Trump, but you know, nobody who lives in reality is really, is really going to have a problem with this. Why? Because the WHO is filled with a bunch of political hacks. Why we keep funding organizations that other nations use to attack us? And the fact that the WHO gets to a point, you know, uh, China or that China got to be appointed onto human rights commissions and now helping to oversee the, cr- the global coronavirus response. Boy, that's a little bit of a tongue twister is really kind of despicable. And so why do we keep funding organizations that other nations are then able to use to try and attack us while they themselves run despicable, horrible, repressive regimes? Boy, it's uh, late at night and I'm having some troubles here. you know. But I don't really do uh, any editing of my podcast, so you do get the mistakes involved as I sometimes jump ahead or Sometimes I'm fighting fatigue as I'm recording this, you know, because I'm trying to find times of the day when the kids are not awake so that you don't hear them stomping around or yelling in the background. And so that either means late at night after they go to bed or get up really early in the morning and getting up really early in the morning hasn't been working out. All right. So this all ties back to what Hulk Hogan was saying when I had started this off, that, you know, what the coronavirus has done is it's taken away the veneer of the things that we tend to worship, especially the celebrity class, as we find out that without their makeup artists, without their production crews, without their professional cameras, they're no better than anybody else. They really aren't. In fact, we have found out that they were really less skilled than the average YouTuber when it comes to communicating online and that they just delegate everything to their staff and all they are is a talking mouthpiece for the script writers. Okay. All right. So now there's another thing uh, that has come up here and it was an interesting piece uh, and talking point that came out from Tucker Carlson. And it has to do with the lockdown and some of the things uh, that are being said by some of the leftist organizations. And while he's talking, he points out that last week, Dr. Michael Ryan, a leader of the World Health Organization, announced that in response to the spread of this virus, authorities may have to enter people's homes and remove family members, presumably by force. Now, Ryan is an executive director of the WHO Health Emergencies program and in most parts of the world due to the lockdown most of the transmission that's actually happening in many countries now is happening in the household at family levels in some sense transmission has been taken off of the streets and pushed back into family union and now uh, we need to go and look in families to find those people who may be sick and remove them and isolate them in a safe and dignified manner. So Tucker Carlson, in hearing this, and just like the rest of us, is going, who? What's going on here? So just so you know, we're coming to your house, seizing your children and isolating them, Tucker says, in a safe and dignified manner, whatever that means. Now, that's not something under normal circumstances officials casually drop during briefings. It's the kind of statement that might trigger violence. People don't respond well when you threaten to take their kids. But Ryan said it like it was no big deal. And that's how the media is treating it. His threat didn't make headlines in any of the major newspapers in this country. 
That's the kind of moment we are in. So how long will this moment last? Well, on Friday, Eric Garcetti, uh, the mayor of Los Angeles, predicted that the first in a series of lockdown will go on until June. Anderson Cooper, CNN anchor, one of the things that just concerns me is it is not one of those immediate concerns, but you know, this draws out through uh, the summer and then the cold winter comes around and then there's another wave of it. How do you, as leaders, think about this? Eric Garcetti, Mary of Los Angeles, early on, when people said this is just going to be a few days or a couple of weeks, I said, no, I think it's going to last two months. And I said, if we're successful in this, we can expect a second spike in the late fall or early winter. That's how viruses work. We better steal ourselves uh, for a second and maybe even third round of this. But we also need to be nimble enough to know we're not going to flip a switch one day and turn the economy back on. A second and maybe third round of lockdowns? That's a long time. And it goes on to start asking the question here, how far are we going to go with this? How long are we going to accept these lockdowns? You know, in the name of public safety. How long are we going to surrender our rights? Now, if it's by the left's calculation, it would pretty much be about indefinitely. You know, at what point do we start saying, hey, the steps that are being taken are so dangerous it outweighs the threat of the coronavirus? How far are we going to let it go? Are we actually going to let the government come into our homes and take away our family members with who may be infected? You know. For their own safety. Are we going to let the government come in and just take our kids away? How would we feel about that? Or take our spouse away? Are we just going to sit there and let the government start breaking into everybody's house and dragging people out like the Chinese government? So we need to start thinking about the course that we are on and finding a more balanced approach. One that, you know, tries to safeguard the public, but also one that actually keeps intact our democracy and doesn't destroy our economy because we can't let the cure be worse than the problem. And so this is really kind of a think piece here about how far are we willing to let things go and how much are we willing to let the government seize power all in the name of public safety. Now, luckily, Trump is in charge and he doesn't have that authoritarian bone in his body that the left does, even though the left tries to go off and accuse Trump of having an authoritarian mindset. And Mnuchin, you know, says that Trump is already looking at how to open up parts of the economy, how to reopen and get the economy going again, which is good because we can't just go off and say, our actions are stopping deaths from the coronavirus and then ignore the deaths that are being caused by our response to the coronavirus. You know, when people hit an economic downturn, what happens? Suicide rates go up because depression goes up. People get stressed out and worried. How are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to put food on the table for the kids? How long is your landlord going to be willing to go without a rent check? I mean, the landlord probably has payments to make to the bank on the rental property. And how long will the banks go off and say, hey, you know, we're willing to let you go without paying on this loan? You know, there's only so far we can go into an economic shutdown before people start going, hey, money's drying up. I'm about to go bankrupt and my business is about to go out. I need to start charging people money. But then the people have no money. And then they start getting evicted. And then people start living on the streets and you have a homeless crisis, even though there's plenty of homes available. Because people can't afford to live there because of the economic crash. And I've always been consistent about giving the president the 15 days, but guess what? That 15 days is up. We've seen drastic improvements in our ability to handle the coronavirus, and we've seen you know, treatments that have come out that have been very effective. So it is time, of course, to be able to go out there and start opening up parts of the economy 
and start fixing the economic crisis that is happening. But as it goes on, we're finding out more and more about China's actions, not just with the coronavirus, but as to some of the shortages that are going on with the personal protective equipment. You know, the stuff that the media is attacking Trump for, because it turns out that China may be hoarding personal protective equipment. The equipment that they received while the world was flooding to try and help them out, donating gear to them in order to try and keep the virus contained to China. And now that this has become a global pandemic and the rest of the world is needing equipment and all of our manufacturing is located in China, that they are hoarding some of that equipment. Now, I'm going to go ahead and play a clip for you from Fox News when they did an interview with former Congressman Trey Gowdy. You know Trey Gowdy, he was always good for a YouTube clip. And he goes off and talks about the things that China is doing. And then he starts talking about maybe some ways that we can start holding China financially accountable for the damage they caused with this global pandemic. Reportedly, the Trump administration is weighing legal actions and options over allegations that China hoarded critical medical supplies to intentionally corner the market on the stuff. A senior legal advisor to the president telling the New York Post, people are dying when you have intentional, cold-blooded, premeditated action like you have with China. This would be considered first-degree murder. Here to weigh in, Fox News contributor and former South Carolina Congressman Trey Gowdy. Congressman, good morning to you. Apparently, according to this New York York, uh, Post story, During the month of January, executives from 3M and Honeywell were told they could not export any of their masks and and PPE out of China. And at the same time, China was gathering things from Asia and South America and the EU as well. Nobody knew what was going on in China. Had they known, they probably wouldn't have sent the stuff because everybody else needed it. You know, you got a couple of options, Steve. Um, there are international entities, whether it's the United Nations, the World Health Organization, there's the International Court of Justice. There are actually treaties that, that govern the interactions between countries as it relates to infectious disease. But those are toothless. You've got American courts, but you got to get around the Foreign Sovereign Immunity Act. And then if you get around that, you got you got proof problems. I mean, how is an individual American supposed to get information from China when the rest of the world cannot? Uh, the, the Trump administration doesn't need to go to court to hold China accountable. You can hit them where it hurts the most. You can ostracize them on the world stage, quit letting their students come here and study. Um, it, it, you can make them a pariah. But most importantly, you can start deducting the amount of money we owe them and other countries owe them, deduct our costs. Uh, including the loss of life, but but all the other costs start deducting that and then see what China's reaction is. The news with China just keeps getting worse every single day from their cover-up, how this may have been you know, an issue of a leak from a laboratory studying the coronavirus and bat coronaviruses and not just part of their dietary. And now, having hearing them hoarding personal protective equipment, and being able to go through uh, with their hoarding uh, during the initial phase uh, before everybody else realized that this was going to be a global pandemic. Now they are cornering the market on personal protective equipment, which means they can also go through and charge whatever they want, and they can decide who they are and are not going to be making or releasing equipment to based off of who will bow down to their particular narrative. Now, I've talked about this before. Now, what's interesting is Trey Gowdy has brought up the idea of making China pay for it. And it's not just a vague statement that, oh yeah, China has to pay for it. He actually starts talking about ways in which we can start making China pay for it. You know, China holds a lot of U.S. debt. So maybe we should start deducting from our you know debt to China the cost of dealing with the pandemic that they caused. You know, uh, we just passed $2 trillion. Hey, if we just cancel out $2 trillion worth of debt to China, 
that would uh, help balance that out. And then, you know, uh, that wouldn't have the financial problems, you know, that come with just printing $2 trillion. And Gordon Chang, you know, he came out with another idea, which is also to seize China's $1 trillion in treasury obligations as coronavirus compensation. And he comes out with this idea that American, our America uh, can seize Chinese holdings of U.S. Treasury obligations as compensation for the one-party state's negligence related to the coronavirus pandemic. And it goes on to explain that what the United States can do is just simply seize the Treasury obligations that China holds in their own name. They hold a little more than a trillion U.S. dollars in Treasuries. Probably through nominees, uh, they hold us some uh, more. And Chang continued, but we got to go off and be careful about how we do this because we would not be able to take this action alone. You know, so this is one of those situations where, you know, yes, we could do it, but if we're the only nation that does it, let's say China has holdings, you know, treasury holdings in other countries as well such as countries in the UK or the EU, and they do not seize you know, the money as compensation for the coronavirus, well, then this would actually allow you know, our actions to feed into Chinese propaganda. Because what the Chinese uh, could do is go off and say that this was a repudiation of debt. You know, so if we just go through and seize it, and take it as compensation, and we're the only countries that do it, China can say we defaulted on our debts. We refuse to pay our debts. You know, we've gone off and we've defaulted on our debts and spread that around the world. And then this would give other countries who are not our allies, who really do hate us, to go out there and, you know, spread this, you know, falsehood uh, around as well. You know, which then would go off and have severe financial consequences on us, depending on which side most of the countries decide to go with. But on the other hand, if other countries take this particular type of action as well, well, then it's a way to hold the Chinese communist government uh, accountable. So there is a way uh, that we can do it. It's just whether or not we can get the support of the international community. Now, there have been other developments in the idea of being able to hold China accountable for everything that has gone on. Senator Rick Scott, a Republican of Florida, stated that the Senate Homeland Security Committee Chairman Ron Johnson, another Republican from Wisconsin, has agreed to investigate the World Health Organization, called for the organization to be defunded, and called for an economic boycott of China. Now, think about that as well. Think about all of the trade that we do with China. So what would happen if, because of this, we as a nation would be able to stand up and start a boycott against China and stop buying Chinese goods and how that would damage their economy until they agree to compensate us for the damage that they cause? The only problem is we already know what would happen if we tried to take that approach. The left would come out and declare our actions racist. And you know that to be true. There isn't anybody who doubts that the left would come out and try and demonize us if we tried to hold China accountable through economic boycotts. Okay, so as we progress through everything related to the coronavirus, we are starting to notice more and more about how Democrat administrations helped create this problem. You know, we already know that the Obama administration depleted the national stockpile of things like N95 masks and then never replenished them. You know, and then they want to go off and try and blame President Trump for the shortages in the masks. Well, now we find out when it comes to New York City that Democrats have screwed that up. So New York City once had a stockpile of ventilators, specifically as part of their pandemic preparedness, and then they auctioned them off. Isn't that wonderful? 
So Governor Cuomo is out there talking about how much he needed ventilators. Oh, we needed ventilators. We don't have enough ventilators. People are dying because Trump won't provide enough ventilators. And then it turns out that the reason why they're short on ventilators is because they sold them off years ago. So in 2006, then New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg's administration began purchasing ventilators to allow the city to be prepared for a pandemic like the current coronavirus crisis, only for the city to later auction them off, according to a report, as Fox News is reporting here. Uh, ProPublica reported Monday that the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene issued a report in 2006 on the city's preparedness for a pandemic uh, influenza similar to the 1918 Spanish flu or the 2019 novel coronavirus. And then uh, that uh, projected uh, the city would need thousands of extra ventilators in order to properly treat all of its residents who got sick. The plan was then put into action with the city initially buying 500 ventilators before it ran out of money to buy more and maintain the ones it had already stockpiled. Now, those ventilators were then auctioned off sometime before 2016. Imagine that. Uh, Because the city could no longer afford to maintain them, geez, probably because they were putting their spending priorities on other non-essential issues. But I digress. Now, they couldn't afford to maintain them in working order. Now, partially, that was because uh, the model of ventilators the city had purchased was no longer in production after 2009. So what had happened here is they had stocked up on ventilators to prepare for a pandemic. Then, years later, as the budgets were getting tight because they were wasting money, and as the ventilators were getting old and could no longer be maintained, they auctioned and sold them off and then never replaced them. You know, just like Obama never replaced the national stockpile of N95 masks, New York auctioned off its ventilators and then never restocked them with newer ventilators. Isn't that just great? And then they want to go off and try and say, people are dying because of Donald Trump. What we are seeing here is incompetence by government at every level. And Trump, you know, he's been spending three years trying to undo the incompetencies of decades of past presidents and administrations. You know, do you really think you're going to be able to undo in three years what Democrats and, you know, big government Republicans, you know, rhinos have been implementing for 30 years? I mean, if you think you can do do 30 years worth of incompetency and undo that in three years, you are absolutely nuts. You know, there was no way to get that accomplished. And trying to figure out, based off of current needs, where to roll back the incompetencies, well, you know, you couldn't have predicted a pandemic, so you started where the most benefits would come from at the time. Now, Trump has gotten uh, India. Uh, to export, you know, and be able to reverse the ban on India's exports uh, to, you know, be able to get a hold of the treatments. You know, I can't pronounce their names, the drugs that Trump has been uh, promoting, but we now have been able to purchase a large stockpile of them uh, from India amid uh, Trump uh, getting and reversing uh, a ban. You know, so that is great. So we do have the ability to treat a lot more people. And if you want to read more about that, you can go to the Daily Wire. Uh, They have an article titled, Trump Gets India's Export Ban Reversed on Potential Coronavirus Treatment. Good article there. Now, there is another interesting thing uh, that is going on here. And that is, we're seeing that the models have been wrong. and. There's only two reasons why the model could be wrong. Either the data that went into creating the models were faulty, using faulty assumptions, therefore the models had overestimated how many deaths there were. Or Trump's actions saved a lot of lives. Now it's going to be interesting to see where the media comes down on that because the media is going to have to try and explain why we're not seeing as many deaths as what the models had projected. You know, and I had brought this up 
in my previous podcast, whereby the Democrats are going to have to take a side, and there's peril to both sides that they take. For instance, if they say that the models were wrong and that they were wrong because of the inputs or the assumptions that were used, then we have to start taking a look at all the other models in which they base their policies on, such as climate change, and go, well, if these models on infectious disease were wrong, then how do we know any of your models on climate change are right? And then that opens a door for a conversation that they really do not want to have in any way, shape, or form. But if they don't, then they're going to have to try and explain, you know, that the models were wrong because Trump took action, you know, because of Trump's actions reduce deaths. Now, we know what the media is actually going to do because they're complete dishonest and predictable hypocrites. To try and explain away why the models were wrong, they're going to go off and say, well, the models were right if we didn't take any action. And because Trump would not lead, it was through the actions of governors like Andrew Cuomo, his bold leadership is what really kept the death count low, is what really kept you know, the models from becoming true, right? They're they're not going to admit in any way, shape, or form that Donald Trump's actions, President Trump's actions, is what saved a lot of lives. They're going to go off and try and spin a narrative that it was the leadership of the Democrats. That's what really saved lives. Now, I do want to get to one last thing here because, of course, Of course, when it comes to the media, when they start running out of narratives and because they are intellectually lazy, and I've told you about this, how they've become so lazy that they can't get through a segment or a subject without going back to racism. Of course. So now we have a new narrative. The coronavirus is racist. So I got this uh, clip here from CNN. And I thought I would go ahead and let you hear it as the Democrats and the left-wing media are now trying to say that this virus is racist, that it's targeting African-American communities, and that as it does so, it exposes more systemic inequality in American culture. Doctor, I want to start with you, uh, and I've just put up some numbers. I'll get deeper into them in a moment, but just these side-by-sides. Illinois, African-Americans make up 15% of the population. They are 42% of the state's coronavirus deaths. In Louisiana, African-Americans make up about a third of the population. Seven in ten. Seven in ten of the deaths in Louisiana African-Americans. In Michigan, it's about 14% of the statewide population. More than 40% of the deaths in Michigan from COVID-19 in the African-American community. Uh, it's a combination of things, I'm sure. Some, it's the urban density. Some, is the disparity in the healthcare systems. Uh, what is your biggest takeaway on why this is happening and what can be done? So, first of all, we have to be clear that in December 2019, none of us was immune, right? So all of us should have an equal opportunity of being infected. But what this virus has done is taken away the mask, uh, the veneer, the pull the sheets off of this myth of equal opportunity in this society. So what is happening is that black folks are getting infected more because they're exposed more. And once infected, they're getting, they're dying more because they have, their bodies, our bodies, have borne the burden of chronic disinvestment, active neglect in our community. So when I look at it, it is because of structural racism, which puts us in the more forward-facing jobs so that we're more exposed and less valued, don't even have the protection that we need. And this chronic, you know, the residential segregation that turns into uh, employment segregation, educational segregation, uh, environmental hazard segregation, all of those insults on our bodies have given us more of these so-called pre-existing conditions. So once we're infected, we have more severe outcomes from the disease. Now, this is just sick. The virus is a sign of white supremacy, and it's a sign of inequality. I got a newsflash for you. The virus doesn't give a rip who you are. It, it, the virus doesn't go off and go, oh, I'm only going to go after mostly these people with this skin color. That's not how viruses work. 
You want to know an alternative theory? How about this? It's because you keep listening to Democrats. Democrats who were the party of slavery, of segregation, of the KKK. Democrats who have been attacking the black community since the dawn of the nation. And now, because they give out a lazy story about some Southern strategy and go out there and declare all their ideological opponents as racist, the black community votes for Democrats at a near 90% rate. And they live in communities run by Democrats who target them. I mean, think about this. If you were to go off and chart uh, the black community in the United States and where they're doing the worst, it's because of Democrats. You know, they are dominated mostly by Democrats in those areas. And we want to go through and talk about institutional racism. Well, who the hell do you think is running the institutions? Which political party tends to dominate government, tends to dominate institutions that you want to go off and call racist? You know, this is really one of those amazing things where the Democrats have targeted the black community for decades and then try to go off and play off of the pain and suffering that they cause to claim that it's institutional racism and just vote for me so I can have more power over the institutions. It's not enough that I have 80% of control of the institutions. Give me 100% control and I'll somehow fix it. No, they're not. The Democrats have no interest in this. They have no interest in actual debates. What they do, and it's really psychological as far as why they keep going back to trying to claim everything's racist. It's basically when you keep hearing the same thing over and over and over again, you you come to accept it as truth. And when we go through and we take a look at CNN, MSNBC, NBC, and the Democrat Party, well, what happened? President Trump issues a public health emergency on January 31st, warning about the dangers of COVID-19, of the Wuhan virus, starts having press briefings with the coronavirus task force, goes out there and is warning people. Now, President Trump, yes, there were some failures, but those failures were due to information that we didn't have at the time as far as the incubation period and that you were infectious while you were asymptomatic. Right? But nobody knew that at the time. But the president was going out there warning people about the dangers of the coronavirus while at the same time expressing that he hoped or he believed that we had it fairly well contained, which if this was like most other viruses, our containment measures would have worked for like 95% of all the other viruses. This happened to fit in the other 5%. But he was going out there expressing how you know, we only had, you know, this many cases. We believe we got to it in time and that will stop the spread. Again, we didn't know what the incubation period was or that you were infectious while you were asymptomatic. And the left goes out there and tells everyone, ignore Donald Trump. This is no time for Donald Trump's hysteria and xenophobia, right? This is no time, you know, to give in to the politics of crisis. So ignore his public health warning, ignore the public health emergency, and go about your daily lives. Go out there and pack the public transportation. Go out there and pack the restaurants. Go to big events. Don't, by any means, listen to the health emergency. And because the Democrats have such control over the minds and thought processes of the Democrat Party, having indoctrinated them for decades so that they continue to serve their democratic masters, what do we see? We see that with a 90% you know, community voting for the Democrats, they decided to take the Democrats and the liberal media at their word, ignore President Trump, and kept going about their daily lives. While when you take a look at you know, the racial breakdown of everybody else, where there's more of a you know split between Republican and Democrat voters within that racial group, you see that the people who had listened to Donald Trump and those who had gone through and took the precautionary measures, they're not being affected. 
So is there some racial disparity? Well, you can quite possibly make that claim, but not the way the Democrats are trying to spin it. This is another instance in which the Democrats and playing their identity politics, not caring about anybody. I mean, I played the clip for you earlier in this episode of the media downplaying the coronavirus in order to try and attack President Trump. You know, this is another instance in which the Democrats and going out there trying to play political games and doing so have inflicted hardship and inequality upon the population. And now they're going out there campaigning. They're going out there, you know, trying to politic on that pain and suffering and saying that you need to vote more for them. At this point, if you're a black person and you keep voting for Democrats, it's like you going off, taking a gun and shooting yourself in the foot repeatedly and then blaming the gun. You know, at some point, you need to start taking responsibility for your decision making. You need to start taking responsibility for continuing to vote for people whose only goal and objective is to create pain and suffering in your life so that they can get you angry and manipulate you. If you haven't caught on to it by now, well, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I can't, you know, come here and be able to wake you up all by yourself. At some point, you need to do some research. You need to actually take a look around and you actually need to take more responsibility in how you vote because I'm not going to continue to feel sorry, you know, that you keep shooting yourself in the foot if you're not going to learn your damn lessons. All right. So that's it uh, for this particular episode. I'd like to thank you so much for your time and attention. Uh, please share this episode. Hit subscribe if this is your first time listening. And don't forget to leave me a rating and a review. Thank you.